0: we are in mormon chapter 4 and 5 today and again this is just we can put them together because it's so much the same thing the evilness the wickedness of the people it's just growing even more wicked and mormon is has sworn that he won't lead them anymore he's so disappointed that they've taken this oath or this covenant sworn like i like I said, in using God's name for what we should not use God's name for. And so here we are in chapter 4. And so it tells us they go up to battle against the Lamanites in in verse 1. And it tells us um, that the Lamanites win. They lost and the Lamanites win. And then it tells us, um, let's see, in verse 4, it was because the armies of the Nephites went up unto the Lamanites and they began to be smitten for were it not that the Lamanites could have no power. And so it's when we break those commandments, those trusts that God have given us and that we clearly understand and know that God will not back us. We have no promise and he is a God of truth and he stands by his covenants and his promises. And so the very fact that they go to do what we are expressly commanded not to do. They have no backing. And then it says five, but behold, the judgments of God will overtake the wicked. And I love this line. It is by the wicked, the wicked are punished. For it is the wicked that stir up the hearts of the children of men and to bloodshed. And so basically what this means to me is we are left to ourselves. We are left without his protection, without his power, without his backing. And um, it's just so sad to watch. And I love, I heard recently, it isn't that God makes those things happen. He prophesies those things will happen. He just warns us they will. And then just leaves us to ourself and, and knowing. And I'm sure that's hard for him to watch. But if it makes us turn to him, if it humbles us, then that's the whole purpose and the plan. And if not, I don't know what else he can do. He can't bless us if we haven't done the things. It's not like you want to prosper your children when they don't do. You don't want to give them things when they don't do what they're supposed to, and they're never going to learn. So I really love that. It is by the wicked, the wicked are punished. He doesn't, he can just step back and remove himself Okay, so then it tells us in verse 7 that, um, let's see, and it came to pass in the 364th year, the Lamanites did come against the city Tancum. So the Lamanites come. And it tells us in verse 8 that they're repulsed. The Nephites win this time. And the sad thing is in verse 8 that the Nephites boast in their own strength. They do not recognize it's because they didn't seek out war. And that God is blessing them. That is a promise that they have. They don't see it as God's blessings at all. Okay, and it tells us in 9,000s are being killed. And then um, no repentance. There's no repentance. And the Lamanites come again. And in 11, it says, It is impossible for tongue to describe or for man to write a perfect description of the horrible scene of blood and carnage which was among the people, both the Nephites and the Lamanites, every heart was hardened. And here's the definition of a hard heart, so that they delighted in the shedding of blood continually. And isn't that sad, but the thought that struck me this morning as I was going through that is that is Satan. He really delights in our destruction and really delights in causing Heavenly Father heartache. And that's how you tell who you are owned by and who you are following and serving. And so the fact that they delight in people's heartache and in in destroying life, it tells you how hard their heart is and how sad that is. Okay, and in twelve it tells us such great wickedness never had been known among all the children of Lehi. So this is worse than it's ever been. And I have written there Alma 5023. And if you go to Alma fifty twenty-three We just recently talked about this in seminary, and I love this scripture. Um, This is we did about happiness, but behold, there never was a happier time among the people of Nephi since the days of Nephi than in the days of Moroni, yea, even at this time. And here's the thing that's interesting is both were a constant scene of war. Both times were a constant scene of war. The difference is in Moroni's day, remember title of liberty and all of these dissensions, and so they are in this constant state of fortifying and war. But they're fortifying. Their concentration is working with God and in prayer and in faith and fortifying. And they're so happy because they're working with God. Here it's a constant scene of war, but they're stirring up the war. They want the war and they want the destruction, and they're not pairing with God at all. So there's the difference. There had never been such great wickedness, and how sad. So then it tells us um, in 13, the Lamanites did pay, take of possession excuse me, of the city desolation because of their number. And I love that it says that because they don't want you mistaking any other reason. It's just surely because they're more. And then in 14, they did march forward to the city Teancum and did take prisoners, women and children. And here's something new that we've not seen. And this tells you the great witness. They did offer them up as sacrifices to their idol gods. And so this is just so sickening and gross. And I'm so grateful. Like I said, again, there's a chapter that we get to that I don't even know how I'm going to do. I hate it so bad. But here he introduces for us this whole new turn. And Moroni right here is, Mormon, excuse me, is just being a witness of all of this. He isn't leading them. He's just recording this. And I'm sure It is so appalling to him and hard to watch. And so it tells us that they did go against the lamb. They're so angry. The Nephites are so mad. And maybe it's because of this new um, act, this new um, plummet of wickedness and going even further than they had before. The Nephites are so angry. They come against them to war and they win in their anger. It's not because God's backing them. It's because they're so angry. And then in 16, it tells us there's eight years with no war. And then in 17, they don't even number because of the greatness of the number of how many losses and it's just so sad. Um, then 18, it tells us from this time forth, the Nephites never did get advantage again. Um, and as the dew of the sun, they begin to be swept off. And I love the imagery there. Um, if you think of the morning dew when the sun comes up, that it just disappears, the warming of the sun, it just takes it. And so what a visual of how quickly that happens and how sad this is to our heavenly father. And then it tells us the Lamanites win in 19... And then it goes back and forth. The Nephites win. The Lamanites win. But it tells us in 20, um, man for man, they fled. And I don't know if I'm um, man for man, left to themselves. And so again, it's that the wicked are left to um, be humbled by the wicked. Or what is that? Will overtake the wicked, the punishment of God. They're just man for man. They're fighting without God and left to themselves. And I didn't word that very good. All right, um, again in 21, it mentions the women and children are sacrificed. That's how evil they are, and they flee. And then in 23, it says, And now I, Mormon, seeing that the Lamanites were about to overthrow the land, I did take the records from the Hillshím." And that Amorim had hid to the Lord. And so he has those in his possession to keep them safe. He's probably about 55 at this point in time. So you figure this has been this boy's life since he was 16. This man's life since he was 16. And really a constant scene of evil and wickedness. But we also know, remember, that angels ministered him to him daily. And he must have a good wife because he ends up having Moroni, which we will... We know that he has, and so they at least were good. Okay, and then it tells us that in verse 1, that he did repent of the oath, the promise he had made. And I love that it's oath, because an oath is a covenant with God, a promise to God. He repents of that, that he will no more assist them. And he comes back to take lead of the army. And I love that it says this, they did look on me as though I could deliver them from their afflictions. I think what's amazing here is that Mormon cannot stand there and be an idle witness and just write this and record this and do nothing. And so he comes back to lead them without hope. In verse two, it says, without hope, I knew the judgments of the Lord would come upon them. He knows God is a God of truth. He wants God to be a God of truth and cannot lie. And so where you have not done your part, you have no promise. I, the Lord, delight to honor and bless you when you do what I say. But when you do not what I say, you have no promise. And I love that mormon emphasizes he's coming just to do what he can or to just not feel idle but he has no hope that the lord is going to come in and because of his righteousness spare them it's not going to happen and i also think it's interesting that the people do recognize that he has a power and a force but they don't attribute that or at least don't want to do the same things he does, like oh great, you be righteous and we'll be blessed because of your righteousness. We just don't want to do those same things. It's just so weird. Okay, in three and four, it just tells us they're just emphasizing they're maintaining their cities and their lands. Remember, they're not getting any more advantage. They just want to maintain what they have. Um, now here is a new thing that's happening besides sacrificing the women and children. It tells us whatever towns and villages they go through. When they're done, they burn them. And so remember in history where we see this and it just seems they burn and they pillage and they destroy, that's what they're now doing. That's a whole new thing, that you're killing animals, you're destroying crops, you're destroying food. It just makes no sense to destroy everything, but that's where they are. Their destruction is their whole goal. And that's so sad tells us they're way outnumbered. So great were their numbers. They did tread the people of Nephi under their feet in verse six. And then I love this verse in seven, the description of it. And it came to pass, we did again take flight and those whose flight was swifter than the Lamanites did escape. And those who flight did not exceed the Lamanites were swept down and destroyed. And it's just survival of the fittest. That's where we are. We've now taken away the rule of God and obeying him, so we're now at the rule of man, which is survival of the fittest and all of those horrible, awful things that we don't want to live by. Okay, 8. And now, behold, I, Mormon, do not desire to harrow up the souls of men in casting before them such an awful scene of blood and carnage as was laid before my eyes. But I, knowing these things, must surely be made known and that all things which are hid must be revealed on the housetops. We have that scripture in Isaiah. We have that scripture about the second coming, that all things will be yelled from the rooftops, revealed from the rooftops. And I actually really look forward to that, hearing that. And so he's he's trying to be as succinct and um, without great detail for us, but letting us know how horrible it is. And it tells us that he wants to spare us from from this therefore I write a small abridgment not daring to give a full account of the things I have seen in verse 9 because of this commandment which I have received that ye might not have too great sorrow because of the wickedness of the people and I have written right there in my scriptures I'm so thankful that he spared us because it is so sad to read I just can't even fathom I can't even imagine you've seen movies and things like that in our histories, and I just, because that's not what I've seen, it's hard for me to even comprehend. And then in 12, he does again emphasize, this is written for us. It's for us to come. He he knows he's seen us. He knows it's for our day. He is one of our prophets that is recording things and led by the Spirit to record things specifically for us. And so we do need to, as we read, ask, what am I supposed to learn from this atrocities that happen, this evilness and this wickedness that happen? And hopefully the lesson is just apparent to all of us to continue to pair with God that there's never a time that we relax and just think we're fine and then in 14 and they shall go to the unbelieving of the Jews for this in 10 excuse me that they shall persuade those that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God and I love that he says again this is his whole purpose to persuade all of us that Jesus is the Christ and to fulfill his covenant and I love that to fulfill the covenant that he has the son that's coming and will atone for us and that restore the Jews and all that he has covenanted from the very beginning will happen. And I love that. All right jump down to 18 and um, 17 actually let's start they were once a delight some people and they had Christ for their shepherd and and hopefully we relate to that and then 18 and this is why we have to continue to be valiant but now they are led about by Satan even as chaff is driven before the wind or as a vessel tossed about the waves without a sail or anchor, or without anything with which to steer, so are they. And that is just such beautifully beautiful imagery again. He is our whole anchor he is our stay on the boat the church is our whole stability and so it's just staying and doing those things every day and it tells us in 19 the words that I have there is that a birth the birthright was given to another people because the Jews did not stay true and they will be brought back but how nice it would have been had they stayed true they would have received their blessings and um, then let's see, 21, also the Lord will remember the prayers the righteous would have been put up to him. So he's just talking to us, oh, ye Gentiles, how can ye stand before the power of God except you repent and turn? That reminds me of my seminary lesson today, Amminadab in the prison with Lehi and Nephi and Amminadab was a dissenter. And it says when Lehi and Nephi were surrounded by fire and the prisons had earthquake and and they're in darkness and the prisoners are paralyzed with fear, it tells us this dissenter, this one Nephite, and we find out it's Aminadab, turned him about and looked. And then he teaches the other prisoners and the 300 then become missionaries and convert thousands of Lamanites. And I love that story and I love the wording that we have again and again and again, turn. And then when you think of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, they did not turn to the right or the left, but on that straight course. And so I just love the imagery of that we need to stay on the path and turn from our evil ways. And remember that there is one sure path that leads to that tree and to that fruit, which is the love of God. And then 23, Know you not, you are in the hands of God. Know you not, he hath all power. And I love that. And 24, repent, humble yourselves before him. And that's the whole message of this and these chapters of just the difference of the happiness of the people of Nephites during the wars and the awful wickedness and the scene of sorrow and despair of these Lamanites that were so hard-hearted, or I can't even just say Lamanites because it's everyone, the wickedness, the whole scene of his covenant children and the Lamanites, just one Horrible scene of hard heartedness that delights in such wickedness. And truly, it's all about who we pair with and who we turn to and leading to the next life that our desires and our appetites and all that we work for here, what that will bring in the next life. And what we want is to sit with God and to have that peace and to have that joy. I hope you know the church is true. And more than that, I hope you know how much our Savior loves you.